Hi friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that he's going to be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who he created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now, enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. I mean, come on, you and McGregor, a little Scottish brogue to start your morning. That's good stuff. I remember, uh, how many of you saw the ad during the Super Bowl? Right, because we were watching the game or the commercials, one of the two. Uh, But I've seen that a couple times since then. And here's what I I love the ad, but here's what I love. I love it when the world echoes the Bible. I love it when the world is proving the Bible right. And some of you are thinking, what in the world does Expedia and Ewan McGregor have to do with the Bible? But here's the thing. Some of you may wonder, oftentimes we could think that God, God is such a bummer. Maybe we think God is just this grouchy, stodgy old guy that's just waiting to get all of us in trouble and give us consequences for things that we do wrong. Maybe some of you think that even coming to church here today, just being a Christian, choosing to follow Jesus, like, what a drag. You know what I mean? Like, all it does is this whole thing's just going to give you a bunch of rules to follow, you know, just squeeze your life down to this impossible small story where you can never do it right and you can never walk it out. But here's the thing. That's not the way it's supposed to be at all. What if there's something so much more? about who God is and about this life that he invites us into. And if we look carefully, oftentimes there's clues hidden all throughout the Bible about the kind of life that God has for us. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15 in the message translation. It says, God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? Huh? I bet that's exactly how you walked in here today, right? Just going, oh, I can't wait to get to church. You're just going, ah, oh. you woke up and your eyes just opened right up and you're like, what's next, God? What do we have for me? What's the adventure? No, you struggled to get to the, where's the coffee? And you're just like, I got to get going. And I got to get the friends and get the kids ready. And you're doing everything you can to get here. And sadly, that's so much of what our life becomes. Just this sense of routine. And we just start to just live every day. But what if? What if this is what God really has? What if? Every day, he's just waiting for you to wake up. He's like, I can't wait. Because he's already awake. Because he never sleeps. And he's just like, are you ready? You ready for the adventure that I designed for you? Are you ready for this expectant life? What if we woke up every day? What if we walked in here with a sense of, I wonder what God has for me? You see, that is the invitation that God's giving us. And so just stop and go, is your life, is your life full of adventure? Is that the way you live life with a sense of wonder, a sense of anticipation, a sense of hopeful expectation about what could be? Because that is the invitation that God is giving you today. And very practically, he's gonna show us what it looks like and how we can live that out, like, like Talia was saying, around the corner here locally, but also around the world. God wants you to be a world traveler. 
and he wants you to see him in all places. So just for some context, as we continue our journey, today's kind of like chapter two of what we started last week. So if you didn't listen to last week, you might want to go back and listen to it just for extra credit. You'll understand today regardless. But last week, remember, we were picking up the story right after Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. And we kind of started remembering sort of what the disciples must have felt like, right? Kind of as they experienced this relational whiplash. As Jesus shows up on the scene, starts his ministry and his journey with them, he's healing people, and then all of a sudden he dies, and he's resurrected, and then he's gone. It's like he's here, and he's alive, and then he's dead, and then he's back, and then he's gone. And they're like, what is happening? What do we do now? And we learned the most powerful thing from Acts chapter 2 where these people that had chosen to trust and follow and put their faith in Jesus, they chose to live in community for the community. You've got to live in biblical community with one another. It's the only way we make it. And we live with and for one another. Remember we were talking about what does it mean to be part of a crowd as something like this, or even larger crowds that we experience in classrooms or schools or teams or stadiums, versus being part of a community where you're sitting around a table and you're looking people in the eyes and they're looking at you and you get to ask questions and create a dialogue and you feel seen and known and encouraged. It's what you heard from Sean earlier when she was describing what unfolded in her alpha group. And that's what we want for you. That's what God wants for you. That's why I don't want you to miss. If you're not part of a community, that's the first step. You gotta be here Thursday night. You gotta go on this journey, just let God talk to you. Live in community, but it doesn't stop there, right? We live for the community. We live on behalf of one another. We sort of live out these lives of the church in disguise. And we carry these these values, these life-changing values of Jesus into the world. Of helping people feel seen and loved and valuable. Meeting practical and tangible needs so they can understand God's grace and his kindness and his compassion. We talked about the things we do here as a church locally, the the food pantry, hosting the youth centers of Orange, partnering with them with volunteers, full circle, our shop. And then, of course, you heard it, like we we now get to partner with the city to help love and serve our homeless brothers and sisters right here in Orange. Just this past week, here's a picture. There's handsome Spencer. Spencer's right here from our church family. He's going to lead you. If you were one of those people that signed up, said, hey, I'd love to help. I don't know what to do. Spencer's going to be the guy. He'll, contact, he'll help equip you and train you, help you figure out what it looks like to step in and be the hands of Jesus because we live in community for the community. And that's what was happening in Acts chapter 2. And so if you continue reading that through 4 and 5 and 6, what happens is this story starts to spread, as you can imagine, because they were just spreading the good news of Jesus. People were being healed. Hope was being just shared. Light was going through the community. They're like, I want to be a part of that. So all of a sudden, this movement of Christ followers, Christians, is growing. Because they're like, this is amazing. So you can imagine how excited, right, those religious leaders were in the day. No, the ones that killed Jesus, remember, they hated this. They're like, wait a second, I thought we killed this guy. I thought we killed that movement. And so all of a sudden, as this story starts spreading, they're not happy. And so you see in Acts chapter 7, one of these guys, Stephen, gives the most amazing speech. If you ever want to understand just the, 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 the high points of the Old Testament all the way up through Jesus, just read Acts chapter 7. It's a great summary. But he gives this unbelievable speech. And so you know what the religious leaders do? Kill him. They stone him. They say, this is it. This is too much. We're going to end this thing right here and right now. 
And so here's what happens as the story unfolds. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All of the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and they buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. This turning point happens where all of a sudden Christians, Christ are just scattering. They're literally running for their lives. And they're going everywhere they can and they're being hunted by Saul and people. And they're trying to destroy them and their story. And you can see they were all kind of in Jerusalem, the place that they know, the city where they grew up or were raised, where their families were. And all of a sudden they're getting scattered to the surrounding area. It'd be like the county and the state. They went as far as they could go just to try and get away. But look at what happens in verse four. But the believers who were scattered, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. The believers that were scattered, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They took this good news of hope and of kindness and of grace and of love and of serving and of sacrifice, they just took it with them wherever they went. And it's interesting because it's, it's a principle that we see as we look all through, through the Bible. And that is that oftentimes you can find purpose in pain. You can find purpose. God will create and bring purpose to pain. And so I don't know, maybe that's your story today. Maybe you walk in with some pain in your life, physically or relationally, financially, maybe you feel broken, I don't know, but I have good news for you. God can help bring purpose in pain. And we see this all throughout the Bible, not just here. We could go back, there's lots of stories. One of them is in Genesis, very beginning of the Bible. It covers like 12 chapters of this guy named Joseph. Joseph was chosen. He had a dream to be this great ruler. So all of his brothers didn't like that. So they basically tried to kill him and that didn't work. So they sold him into slavery, told their dad that he, he died. And for like 12 years, Joseph is a slave. He's in captivity. He's in prison. There's lies and accusation. You can imagine the fear and everything that was going through his mind. But all of a sudden, God takes Joseph and he elevates him, and he makes him through the most remarkable circumstances, like the head of state for the entire area. And so he literally now has all the favor of the kings and the rulers. And those same brothers that try, that sold him into slavery, they show up and they're just begging for food. Can you keep us alive? And Joseph, right, he's the most powerful guy in the land. He could snap his fingers and have these guys killed. You betrayed me. You lied to me. You tried to destroy me, but you know what he does? He looks at his brothers and he says, you know what, guys? What, what Satan had intended for evil, God used for good. Because look at now the position I have. Look at the opportunity I have, not just to save you, but to save millions of people. I have an opportunity to spread this good news of who God truly is. And he forgives them in that moment. Purpose in the midst of pain. God uses it for good. One of the verses that, that promises this is in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verses 28. It says that God can use 
all things and he works them together for good according to his will and his purpose. He can take all things. Only God can take all things and actually bring something good out of them, make and find purpose in the midst of pain. And so we see this, these believers are scattered and they're still, they just can't help but share the good news of who God is. He brings purpose in the midst of pain. And in this case, really what's happening is he's accomplishing what Jesus had commissioned them to do in the first place. You see, before Jesus goes back to heaven, he's having a conversation with his followers, with his disciples. And this is what he says to them in chapter one, verse eight of Acts. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus had told him, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna receive my power to be my witnesses. And it's not just here in Jerusalem. He told him, he goes, here's where you're gonna go. You're gonna go everywhere, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. But they weren't getting out there. And so God takes this moment and this opportunity that in the midst of pain and in the midst of persecution and in the midst of the fear, as people are literally running for their lives, God takes it and he brings good. He brings purpose into it to scatter the good news of the gospel. Persecution and pain became an accelerant to growth, both in their lives personally and for the gospel. It's an invitation to an adventure. And that's the same one that we get every single day to accomplish his mission. We get his power to be his witnesses. You want to go on an adventure? You want to live an adventurously expectant life? You've got to receive his power to be his witnesses. That's the same thing that he promised them in the very first thing, his power. What does that mean, his power? It's something clearly that you have to receive. He says you've got to receive. You're going to receive my power, which means... You can't, make, you can't manufacture it. You can't make it up. It cannot come from within. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough. You can't hope for it. You just have to receive it. You have to say, God, I want your power. I need your power to be able to walk through this life. And here's the thing. They probably, just like you oftentimes, well, what does that mean? Is it going to hurt? What's his power feel like? You know, what is it going to mean when it comes upon us? Well, here's, here's how simple it is. It's something you receive when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. When you say, Jesus, I cannot do life on my power. I'm trusting your power. Jesus, I can't manage my sin and my brokenness and my shame and my fear on my own. I need your power. Jesus, I need your strength to get through this life. You trust his power and his strength, and he promises that he'll give it to you. He gives you his power, and he gives you his power to be what? To be his witness. He gives you his power to be his witness, and what, is, what would that look like? What would that mean? Well, it, I love, again, I love the Bible. It's not that complicated. The original word for, for the word witness is something that every one of us would understand. We understand what it means to be a witness. Someone who testifies to something, who testifies to the truth and is willing to bet their life on it. That's what a witness is. It's what it was then. It's what a witness is now. 
And so you receive his power to be his witness, to testify about who Jesus is, that he is, in fact, the son of God, that he is, in fact, the one who brings life and healing and forgiveness and grace in this world, that he changed your life. And you have a story about what that looks like. That's what was happening as they were being scattered. They were sharing this good news. They were received his power. And so they were being his witnesses and they were living this out. The problem is, and where it sometimes goes sideways in our lives is we screw this up and we think we receive his power to be my witness. God, I want your power to be my witness. Like he's some kind of genie. Right? Like all of a sudden it's like, give me your power because I need you to do these things in this way and in this time. Or we try and do it on our own power. I'm going to do, I'm going to live on my power to be his witness. But the problem is you can only be so good. You can only be so loving and so kind and so forgiving for so long. You're going to run out of power. You're going to run out of willingness to even try in relationships. You just will. The only way you get there is on his power or the one that catches all of us from the very beginning. It's the one Satan caught us with. We want to live on our power to be our witness. We want to be the king of our world. We believe that we're strong enough and we're good enough and we're powerful enough and we're wise enough or we're rich enough and we can make it on our own. And so we believe that we're going to do this on our own strength. And that's what we start to think. But all those pathways, what happens? We know what happens. We end up disappointed because God didn't act in the way we wanted him to act at the right time. He didn't do what he said he was going to do or what we wanted him to do. We end up angry or bitter or resentful. We end up disappointed, disillusioned. So all of a sudden, too, we start to move away from people, move away from God. We end up isolated and bitter, resentful and lonely. You see, the only way to move through life with a sense of expectancy and hope and anticipation and live this great adventure that God's calling you to live is if you live on his power, to be his witness. And that's what we see. Where where are we supposed to do that? If we want to do that, well, I love the clarity that Jesus gives. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. But what does that mean to us? I mean, we understood what it meant to them. Well, Jerusalem's their city. So it's like, here's the deal. I'm going to give you my power to be my witness where? Right here in the city. So everything you do in the city, right? Or in the city you live in. So you've got his power to be his witness in your home. You've got his power to be his witness in your workplace. You've got his power to be his witness in your school. You've got everything you do locally. Like, that's it. It's his power to be his witness. It's not about you. Everything is about him. But it's not just here. Because like, you, maybe you're crushing it at home. Maybe you're crushing Like, I got this. Great. Okay, so what about Judea? That's like the county. Okay, so you can't rest then until you move out into the county and make sure everybody knows that I'm inviting them into this adventurally expectant, hopeful life of freedom, of goodness, I guess. So you got to move out there. His power and his But you can't stop there. All of a sudden, you got a Samaria. So what's Samaria? That's like our whole state. Like, your whole state has to know. Everybody's got to know. You've got his power to be his witness. Where? All of these places. But wait, it doesn't end there. You've got to keep going. And that's what they would have said. What? Keep going? Yes. Walk as far as you can walk. And then get on a boat and go and just see what you bump into and start sharing. He's like, you've got to share the good news of who I am. 
And that's what they did. They were scattered, and everywhere they went, his power to be his witness. And it changed the world. That's why we get to sit here today as recipients of this. We get to walk this out. We live in community, not just for the community, but for the whole world. You see, that's what he's saying. You got to live in community. Receive his power to be his witness for the community and for the whole world. And that's the adventure. You guys ready? You ready to go on that with me? Oh, I can tell. You're ready. You're like, I don't know that I'm ready. I know. I know. It's overwhelming. But that's their mission. And that's our mission. Like, literally, that's our mission. Our mission statement, becoming a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change our world. I love that. I'm grateful. I didn't write it. I just got to step into it and own it. And I love it. Because I'm so glad it didn't say, compelled to change our city. Well, that wouldn't have been biblical. Compelled to change our county or our country. Okay, those are all good things. But the commission goes all the way to the ends of the earth. That's from Jesus. That's not, that's not from us. It's not from our elders or our pastors or our leaders. And so this is why. This is why. We want to be people that are passionately living and receiving his power to be his witnesses around the corner and around the world. So today, in the rest of our time, I want to share with you what it looks like. Like, what does it look like for us to be involved around the world? And I know lots of you are involved in different things, which is fantastic. But if you don't know how to get involved globally, I'm going to answer that question for you today. Because I don't want there to ever be any confusion or any excuses for you not to be involved, locally or globally. That would be the saddest thing, right? For me as a pastor, for us as a church, if we're not somehow providing opportunities for you guys to live on his power and be his witnesses, that would be tragic. But I'm so glad we don't do that. So... Two countries predominantly that we're involved in right now. The first one is Ukraine, right? Now, for many of you, this is a new thing that we started because of the persecution that started to flare because of the war in Ukraine. But that persecution, really what it was, is an accelerant to growth, just like it was in Acts. You see, the first time I went to Ukraine was back in 1999, so old. Some of you are like, I wasn't born yet. I know. It's crazy. Got married in 1998. Literally the next year, I went to Ukraine with my father-in-law. And he had been going there for years. And he had met a good friend who was a pastor there by the name of Anatoly Kaluzhny. Led a church called New Life Church. Was birthed and born in Kiev, but he had planted churches already at that time all around the country. He was leading a network of churches in Ukraine. And he'd been doing it for years through communism, through the Chernobyl disaster. He's the one that was taking the good news of Jesus out to the people. And so anyway, anybody that got close to Gene, you got to go with me. So we went to Ukraine for the first time. And it was staggering to me to see the gospel in one of the most tangible ways I've ever seen it. We got to travel with some of the teams from New Life Church that would go out just into giant concrete apartment buildings like the ones you see on the news now that have just been bombed and destroyed. Those are everywhere in the city. And we'd go visit residents there. And some of these people, they had been literally living in the same apartment since they were little kids because they had been impacted by the radiation from Chernobyl. 
And so they might have been impacted and had a disability mentally or physically. And, and the government, what they would do is they'd hide them from the public. So they literally would force people with special needs to live in apartments and never leave. And I would see people 50, 60 years old that had lived in the same dark little apartment for years. And the only relational connection was with the church that would send out teams of people on a daily basis to go bring them food and to bring them hope and to tell them that they're seen and they're loved and they're valuable. I remember that we would go out at night and it was freezing. It was in the middle of the winter. And I'm like, why are we going out at night? This seems like a terrible idea. It's cold. And it's like, let's go. And we'd go out and we'd start having conversations with teenagers. And we'd have teenagers around, have conversations with them around the city square. And I'd ask them, say, where do you live? And they'd point. And all I would see is a bunch of office buildings or, you know, shopping centers. And I'm like, you live in the office building or the shopping center? And they'd say, no. And they'd point. And they would point down at the grate that would lead to the sewer. And there'd be steam coming up out of it, just like you would see in the movies. And they'd say, we live there. Because it's the only place for us to stay warm at night. It's the only way we survive winters in Ukraine. is by living underground, in the sewer. Homeless teenagers. And every night, the church would send out teams of people to just go witness to them and love them and tell them that they're seen and they're loved and they're valuable. And so that's why you can imagine after going there for many times over the first, especially 10 years of our marriage, we have relationships, we have family with people that are there, friends that feel like family. We have families in our church that have adopted kids from Ukraine that are good friends of ours. And so we've had two families, one from our church, one from our sister church, your Belinda, that have already traveled to Poland to meet with some of these pastors. They've already delivered some of the resources that you guys have provided by buying shirts or making donations. We've raised over $80,000 already, 80 grand. We've already delivered over 60 of it, some of it personally to them. And you can see it's buying supplies. One of the things it paid for is a couple of vans because they said, we need to find a way to get supplies. There's no supplies in Ukraine anymore. So they have to drive to Romania. They have to drive to Poland. So they would go and they'd pick up supplies and they'd haul supplies in and then they'd empty everything out and they'd fill it with people and they would drive refugees out of the country. So they'd take people out, bring supplies in. And Paul Buster, one of the families from our church, he just got back and he was telling me stories about Anatoly, these pastors, these church leaders, these people. They're like, we're not leaving. Because now... We see the infrastructure and the damage to the big cities, but he said so much of the pain is existing out of the cities in the surrounding towns and villages. That's where the pain and persecution is taking place in unprecedented ways that you don't see. The roads are cut off, so there's no food. There's no life happening in there. And he said, so we're trying to get resources out to these people so that they know they're seen and they're loved and we're with them and we're for them, and we're going to make it together. They're scattered. But they're being his witnesses on his power in a very tangible way. So that's one of the countries that we get to stand with, and that's why, and that's how. Another one that's familiar to many of you, maybe new to some of you, is India. You see, at Friends, we're part of a denomination that has its foundation uh, back in the Protestant movement of the 16, 1700s. 
But here in Orange County, we're actually the daughter church of your Belinda Friends Church, which has been around about 120 years. And so Matthew Cork, who leads the Your Belinda campus, is a good friend, sort of our spiritual father. And he went to India in 2007, 15 years ago, and he had an encounter there that was similar to mine in Ukraine. God just got a hold of him, showed him things. He said, I can't walk away from these people and from this opportunity. He met a man named Joseph D'Souza, and his commitment was to do what we do, which is we put the church in disguise to change the world. And so he started building schools and and some healthcare infrastructure to start ministering to people and a particular group of people called the Delites, D-A-L-I-T. And these are people in a caste system. You have rankings and grades of people from high to low. These people don't even end up on 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 the range. They're like down here. They're literally viewed by the people of India as lower than animals. They have no value in people's minds, to the country. And that's the group of people that Joseph and we at Friends are committed to. And so we started building schools to educate people there, to help get them out so that they could move out and help bring healing and redemption into their own country. And so you can imagine for those kinds of people in a world like today, how COVID would impact that country. A country of 1.3 billion people that went into lockdown. Everybody lost jobs, food, Nothing for a year. And he said they kind of made it. And then all of a sudden they started opening up the world a year later and this second wave hit and it just devastated people. Because as people started getting out, they brought it back in and it just wiped out the country. Millions of people literally died in a matter of months. Joseph was talking and he said, you know, he said everyone has lost a family member or a friend or a coworker. There are no one-off stories, like everybody knows somebody. And so the pain and the shrapnel of COVID just wiped through the country. And then he says it got worse because the spiritual persecution started coming in the country. And he said, we've never dealt with spiritual persecution. And all of a sudden, we're facing it just like the early church in Acts. And so last night, I had the opportunity to, to listen to Dr. Joseph D'Souza, talk just for a bit about what's happening there. I want you to hear, in his words, what's happening and how they're responding. You know, if you really want to get upset with God, you have to be an Indian now, right, in today's world. Suddenly, persecution is unleashed in a way like we've never had in our history. Christians are attacked. We are not free to share the gospel. Christian organizations are being hounded. Right-wing extremists barge into our churches, stop our services, take over our services. They come into our services. How would you feel if a whole group of people barged in here while our brother is leading his worship and they come in, they stop, and they sing their religious song in your worship place? And then they say, you cannot have Christmas services. So you know, in one whole area, no Christmas services. And then false cases. Pastors are locked up. and Conversion, you're converting. And so this is happening. And so now you say, okay, we're getting hit on one side, God. You are, you know, it's not organized by God. God is not the author of this. 
But I believe God is king. Jesus is king. You believe that, right? He's still king, right? When all of this happens or he stops being king? Come on, answer. He stops being king or is he still king? He's still king. That was my message to our congregation. Jesus is king now. Not one day in eternity is king now. He's allowed it. And now we have to ask God, what, what are you trying to teach us? What are you trying to do uh, to us in this whole situation? And that situation, the, the health situation is still very dire and it continues, but the persecution is going on. Even I'm, as I'm here, you know, we are all trying to figure out how do we now survive in India? How do we do what we do in India uh, as God's people uh, bear witness in, in this hatred against the Christian faith and against Christians that's being unleashed? And as Matthew said, Henry, hey, we are trying to free people. We're trying to free children. We're trying to educate children. We're trying to empower women. We have a great vision to transform a whole nation. So God, what is this? What are you doing? We can look at man and blame the political structure of our day and the religions of our day, but if we do that, we're not going to go anywhere. We have to turn to God, and so we turn to God, and God says, this suffering is working something in you. And he goes down the list. I want to summarize two things that we have learned and we continue to learn through this crisis. And I trust it will bless your heart too. The first thing is, when God allows all of this stuff and in your life, and you no know small things or big things, something may be going on in your life today, we have learned that God is trying to enlarge my faith. You all had that sing song today in worship. You know, let the faith rise. What do you mean by that? God wants to stretch your faith. It's there, but often it is dormant. It's not been exercised. It's a muscle that's never been stretched. You understand what I mean? If you don't stretch a muscle after, after a while, it starts atrophying. So he wants to stress, and so God is pulling, pulling, and pulling, and pulling, and says, I want you to hold faith. I want you to be standing. I don't delight in those in the face of adversity turn back on the faith. I want you to be there. Even if you're the last man standing, you got to hold on to the faith I put in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Enlarge your faith. Stay strong in your faith. And God allows, means he's up to something much more different, much more bigger, and much more impactful than we ever imagined. And the second lesson, very quickly, is we used to have a health work all the time, right? Matthew knows about it. We're not going to sit around for two years doing nothing when the health crisis is hitting India. And in a remarkable way, God said, push your health work right up there in the front. You've never had this as a priority. Push it. We pushed it. What God has done in two years is mind-boggling. One million people 
impacted through virtual healthcare across India. One million in the last two years, all done by women. Bunch of women doctors, women health workers, some male workers spread all across India, going and touching and healing and ministering. And then as they're doing this, all over we hear the reports coming back. The government is happy with us. A hostile government is happy with us. That we, are, our, our, our women are going and people are dying. They're going and giving food and helping out. They're putting their mask, but they are right there like the early church. Remember, one of the biggest revivals took place when the plague hit Rome and the Christians went out in the midst of the plague. They did not run away from Rome. They stayed in Rome and took care of those who were dying and infected. His power to be his witnesses. You see it in the early church like you referenced. You see it in the church in India, the way they're living it out, the church in Ukraine. And that's who we're called to be as the church in orange. And so we take this seriously. What does it mean to live in his power, to be his witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? Through our partnership, our, their friends partnership for over 15 years, our family of churches, we've raised and given over $9 million dollars to build over 40 schools to educate over 30,000 kids. Think about that. 30,000 kids. And you may wonder, well, what does that look like? How does that change a country? Some of those kids were now old enough to be the healthcare workers that were going out into the country. I want you to hear the story of just one little girl. My name is K. Srinija. I'm 15 years old. Uh, my Gushifat school journey is uh, 11 years. Uh, this is her 12th to final year for me. I'm from Bilinur. It's uh, far away from our school. In our villages, uh, it's not good. There is no own house for us. Everybody will say, he came from Chennai, why he is here. My father is a, a very busted drunkard. Uh, everybody will scold him always while he drunk and somebody had beaten my father also. My father's friend said Gushafit school is very best. Now only they open. Their good education and fees is very less. You can join your daughter there. She will become a good, in future, she will become a very good girl. Sri Nija is one of the, one of the senior students of our school. This is her 12th year. She comes from a very poor background. Parents are not much educated. Um, but they have passion that they want Srinija to grow well, uh, 
and get good education and go to a good level. They want to see that her life is not like their life. I showed my parents my discipline also and I will score good mark, then they will be so happy. Yeah, she is a good student. Uh, she does good in her uh, academic studies. Now presently she is uh, holding second position in the class. And she respects her parents. She loves God. While I came to Good Shepherd School, they taught about Jesus, what he had done to people, how he is graceful. They taught us everything, memory words, Bible words, they teach us uh, what he had done. Because of me, now my father is in good position. Now he is not drinking with the God grace. I am so happy to be with my family members. They are giving a good support to me, especially my father. I am so happy to study in this school. Now my father is in good position. He is taking care of us very well. I want to become a doctor. That's my ambition. Uh, because uh, my father is a, a heart patient, so uh, uh, he's not able to cure his disease. But uh, if, I, uh, if I become a doctor and a cardiology specialist, I can uh, cure my father's disease. I want to say thanks to God first. Yeah. Only God, only God can help us find purpose in pain. Only by receiving his power and by living in his power can we be his witnesses. And that is the adventure that I know he's inviting you into today. So if you would, just close your eyes. I invite you to do that just to reflect, be quiet, be still. You see, God knew that you'd be here today. He's so good, he invited you into this space. And he knows whatever pain it is that you're walking through or you're experiencing. And his power is big enough to change that, but even if it doesn't, it's big enough to see you through it and find purpose in it. And so are you willing? Are you willing to fully surrender and trust and receive his power today? Are you tired of walking on yours and trusting in yours? Father, thank you for speaking to every single one of us. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. Thank you for the way that you put your love and your grace on display in such beautiful and tangible ways through your word and through the stories that we get to embrace, but also, God, through one another. The fact that we get to be witness, to bear witness, to bring your life and your love and your hope into the lives of the people right around us. 
in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, in schools, and teams, and into this city, and into this county, and into this world. So I pray that you would continue to speak to every single one of us today. Help us to receive everything that you want us to receive so that you and your power and your strength can work through us as your witnesses.